0: everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the All Might Be Edified Discussions on Servant Leadership. I'm Keith Pankow, and I have the wonderful privilege to be here with Matt DeFord, who is the son of hippie converts who met each other hitchhiking, and then they found religion after crossing the plains with their thumbs out. Matt grew up in the Midwest and Texas. After serving a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the South Africa Johannesburg Mission, he met and married Canadian Julie Heggie while attending Rick's College, which is now BYU-Idaho. They have seven children and live in Natchitoches, Louisiana, where he is a professor of art at Northwestern State University. He was chair of the Department of Fine and Graphic Arts for 12 years and has served in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as bishop and stake president while also fulfilling his professional and familial responsibilities. Matt has never sought out leadership or considered himself much of a leader, but the opportunities have presented themselves to him and he has worked to serve those around him. Welcome, Matt. Great to have you today. It's nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm just so excited. Well, I first met Matt after Hurricane Laura. I was one of the individuals for volunteering to go out and assist in setting up command centers to do volunteer hurricane cleanup. And uh, with all my professional responsibilities and my volunteer responsibilities, I would somewhere along the line been tasked to set up these command posts that would then do the intaking of many volunteers. And over the years, i would gotten part of these teams that would then go help other places, these other stakes set up these command centers. And this was my first time going to train another stake. And this happened to be Matt's stake or President DeFord at the time up there in Alexandria, Louisiana. We were up there and we had this opportunity to train his stake. And it was a massive hurricane in Laura. It was so much devastation and we went up there and just people were tired they were power was out it was hot it was muggy lots of people were wondering what life was going to be like after a hurricane as many people are but just spirits were high people were welcoming they were warm they were receptive as always is the case in louisiana after a, a big storm or anywhere on the gulf coast for that matter and ran into then president Matt there with his big smile and uh, got to know the people around him and you know I was surprised to know that he was a phenomenal artist and you know that our our backgrounds were completely different but just got to know him real well and was always impressed with him so I just looked for the opportunity to have him on this podcast when I got the chance so as I got to know you Matt I was curious to think about that experience in Laura and you know we camped out on the lawn there in that massive heat there was. You know, we went for, I think, four or five weekends, maybe six, I can't remember exactly, and helped, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people take trees off their houses, tarp their roofs, you know, muck out some flooding that for some people because of the rain damage and, you know, a lot more tree and wind damage there than flooding. But I think there was some some mucking out that happened, some really big trees that we had to take off there. And the building there had a train track that went by that would go by every morning at 2 a.m., and as i think back as i think back on that i think you know how do you take this volunteer workforce that's tired it's hot it's muggy and you get them motivated to the point where they're out there doing their best work with in unideal conditions to help others in such a time of need
1: here in louisiana we're kind of used to this work most of the people that have grown up here have Three or four chainsaws have the ability to fix roofs, tarp easily and well. They have the common sense to be able to get done what needs to be done as well as the know-how on how to do it. I felt like as an art professor, I think a lot of people in those situations look at me in a different light, like you did, like, oh, he probably doesn't, he just knows how to paint, he's an academic, what can he do, and, uh, you know, I've I've run a chainsaw, I've I've done all that, I I can weld, I teach welding, I teach metal casting, all that kind of stuff too, so I, I know some of that, but I also know that all of those things that you said, that they were tired, that they went to work all week, some of them went home to no power because they were affected also by the storm a lot of, of our uh, region was affected by that storm which by the time it got all the way up to natchitoches which is in the northwest part of the state it was still a category two and so we still had a lot of damage even where we were i felt like my job was to learn everything i needed to know about running the command center and that was easy because there were great people like yourself and like dome and and, and the big group that came in roman and 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 others that came in to help us learn. But it was also my job to talk to everybody that was helping, to make sure that they saw a friendly face, that they felt valued, not just ordered, and that there was a sense of gratitude and a sense of, you know, a personal nature. Now, this is not something that I planned to do, it's just something that I do because, specifically, in, like you say, in servant leadership, in order to really help people know what to do and to be able to do it in a good and positive way in a thorough way they also have to know that their work is valued that they are trusted as individuals and that they are integral to the process and that we couldn't do it without them and so that sense of gratitude that sense of being personal not planned not script not I don't say, okay, I haven't talked to so-and-so. Let me check this off. It's not that at all. It's just a a wandering around and making sure everybody is is happy and that I get to know them. And that's my philosophy, to be able to help that wonderful group. And then that continued when we had to go to Slidell after Hurricane Ida had immense devastation in the southeastern part of the state. And our state, again, was in charge of hurricane cleanup. And I knew a little bit more what to do, but I also still had a lot of great help. And so I had just recently had a surgery, so I had to be really careful. I couldn't do any lifting, heavy lifting or anything like that. But it was the process of making sure that the people who knew what their job was knew how to do it. I made sure that I knew how to do every single job so that if somebody didn't show up, I could step in or I could train somebody to do it. But also that I was free then. To go around and talk to people, to make sure things were going well, that people were comfortable, that uh, the things, everything was flowing well, and that's what I felt my job was. I was, you know, kissing babies and shaking hands.
0: I love that. That was some wonderful thoughts there. And I remember just how omnipresent you felt there during that response when we'd come back, and just you know how you felt talking to people, and there were some opportunities where some people dropped off some extra food. And I I think I remember you cooking some food for people and doing some things like that. As we came back from a hard day's work and just knowing that there were people there working, because after we would get turned the reins over to your people there in your stake, we'd go out and work in the field then because there was nothing for us to do in the command post. We trained everyone up. And so there's an opportunity for me to go run my chainsaw, which I love to do because, you know, working in the command post is great. There's definitely a need for it, but oh, just getting after it and running my chainsaws is what I do. And as you mentioned, you know, in Louisiana, we we get many of opportunities to do that. And we, you know, I actually have a group of about six to eight friends that we have a text group and we, whenever a storm comes, there's the tech start flying and, and most of us have a steel chainsaw there's a couple that don't and we we raz each other about that uh, lack of a steel chainsaw and um, <laughs> clint ory who you may know as the one here yes. husk varna and so he he defends that that husky with all the, the meat that he has but uh, you know it, it's a good commodity that's built up working together going and doing those things serving and i think there's absolutely serving together
1: and, it's hard for people to understand when I tell them that that work is a lot of fun, that, you know, you think, oh, mucking out a house that's, you know, it's had water in it, or you're up on a roof and it's hot and, you know, chips are flying and all that kind of stuff. But the work is a joy. It is a joy because of all the people. If you were doing it yourself for your own house, it's misery. It's, It's horrible. But being around there and knowing that you are helping somebody in a way that they can't help themselves really is such a joy.
0: I had impacted my area, my home a little bit as well. And so we appreciate that reciprocation quite a bit. And we noticed that too. I think that motivates us to go help each other because we know (laughs) we'll be getting that help from someone else. There was a point where we went and helped an army family, a wonderful family, and they were new to Louisiana. And they just were so thankful for the help that they received but I remember we got to a point where we'd cleared out their driveway and they had a big piece of property. And so there was a lot of trees and they were so thankful that we just wanted to help them a little more than was emergency care. And which we'll do sometimes when, you know, there's a lot of need mm-hmm. there and and people are there out helping us. And we had some time before we could go back and there wasn't enough time for us to get to a new work order. So we were just kind of like, well, oh, we'll clear some more of these trees out because it wasn't that it was just ground maintenance, there was a need to clear some of these trees. But then she quickly was like, well, I think my neighbor needs help more than this. And I was like, well, we don't have a a work order for your neighbor. Well, is there any way that we could fill out a work order for him? I go, oh yeah, we can do that. I go, well, can you walk over to my neighbor's house with me? She asked me. I go, absolutely. So we walked over, we talked to him, He would, and he must have had 30 trees down that were littered around his house and one on top of his house. And I mean, they pinned his house. You couldn't get anything in around it. And I just looked at this house in complete awe of just how, first of all, amazing that more didn't fall on his house, but just of the amount of work that, and he must've been in his sixties or seventies. And he had a grandson around kind of helping him fix his propane tank is what was going on right there. And his response was just in utter disbelief of the work that laid behind him. And he was a little skeptical that we were going to do this for free. So he tried to shoo us away. And we and it was funny because I convinced him that I no, I really wanted to do this work for him. And he was still very skeptical, but he signed the release and let me get to work in pure skepticism that I really wanted to clear these 30 trees that were pinning his house in. You know, he came back later and we worked almost until dusk and we I think we cleared about 10 we had to come back the next day to clear the rest but we ended up clearing all of those trees long story short but when he came back that night he was just in pure amazement that <laughs> we really were i mean there you know that was that team of individuals that i said we love to work like that and then we have a few individuals that are really gifted with the chainsaw. I, I'm not one of those. I just tag along for the fun, but did some amazing work and just the seeing those expressions of gratitude and knowing that those people are so thankful and appreciative of and knowing that there's a a restoration of a belief that there is real good in the world again, I think that makes my day more than anything else.
1: Agreed. Agreed.
0: So now, Matt, as you served as stake president, you had all these other responsibilities. And I think for a lot of our listeners, they might not realize that that you were in charge of probably somewhere in, for an average stake president. I don't know what Alexandria stake was, but it can be anywhere from six to eight different congregations or religious congregations. So think of, you know, that are ran by their own separate pastors equivalent, what we would call a bishop or a branch president. So he's the administrative religious leader for those different sets of churches. And he runs a group that kind of of men and women that oversee the administrative logistical and spiritual affairs of those different churches. And that's all non-paid and volunteer. And then he has his professional responsibilities for the university for Matt. And then he had his family responsibilities and all those individuals that work for the church are all volunteers and you have your university responsibilities and your family. So how did you, work in those different circles to lead and serve the people around you because you didn't seek after these leadership responsibilities but you somehow find yourself in all these different leadership
1: situations
0: so what did you do about that
1: well you surround yourself with good people i think that's a lot of it if you look at all that needs to be done and think i've got to get all of this done most people have a tendency to then shut down like i can't do all that so i can't do any so you just have to break it down and break it off i am a good delegator i think delegating and then trusting the people that you've delegated to people that micromanage have a real problem with big jobs because they can't keep their fingers out of it. I would delegate something to somebody and I would expect that it would get done and I would also make the realization that it w- may not be done exactly as I would do it, but that's okay. And if things needed to be tweaked, they could be tweaked and you know we could assess what things needed to be done and fixed or, or whatever, but for the most part it's the same kind of thing with the the command center. I felt like my job was to if i was to delegate i was also to appreciate and congratulate those are things that help people feel good about it i i think a lot of people can feel good about what they do If they look deep within themselves and and see it but i think a lot of people also have a tendency to need some validation and gratitude for the services rendered and i've sought to do that from day one you know we have all sorts of organizations in the church and one of the organizations is the young men in young women program i think our first meeting as a presidency in 2013 i turned to roger Lacaz, who was one of my counselors and i said that's your job and i want you to become an expert on this job and know everything that you need to know so that if I have a question or somebody has a question, I can just say, talk to Roger. Roger knows what's going on. Now, I also would know a little bit about what's going on, but I made sure that he felt like if we needed somebody in a position, I would say roger i need you to find out who that person needs to be and he would go and find out who that person would need to be and then bring that back to me for approval and we would go over it and talk about it and ponder about it and pray or whatever we needed to do but nine times out of ten i would just go ahead and trust him because i wanted him i wanted everybody to feel the power of their own ability to tap into the source that they needed to tap into to get the answers and the help and the revelation that they needed to assist. So that's a lot of how I was able to get a lot of things done is to not be micromanager to not be a perfectionist minded person in a sense that I know that somebody could get it done even if they didn't get it exactly like I thought it should be done it probably got done better than I would have gotten it done and to help them understand that I appreciated how they got it done.
0: Yeah there's some great thoughts in there. I was listening to a devotional at Ensign College recently in Elder Bednar so he was t- talking about you know the myth of balance a little bit
1: (laughs) the spinning plates
0: yeah yeah exactly so you know exactly where i'm going with this so you're already all ahead of me so we're talking about a you know you if any of you've seen the acrobat that's balancing plates on their their head or in their arms and whatnot and they've got these plates spinning and the question was asked at this devotional if you've ever seen more than one plate spinning at once and everybody answered no they'd only seen one plate spinning at a time and so the object of balance is deciding which plate to focus spinning at a time and then knowing how many plates you're capable of spinning and so my question matt to you is you know as you look at the people around you as a leader and some people have a they struggle knowing which plates to focus on or they try to take on too many plates So how do you help people redirect their focus or eliminate plates from their their balancing act to have a better focus in their priorities?
1: Well, one thing that I've said on a number of occasions to people that are feeling that, for one, is I, I tell them it's not always going to be this way. And a lot of people, they don't realize that, you know, when you're in the midst of a a very anxious situation or stressful situation, it's hard to look at the reality that it's not going to always be like that, that there's going to be times where you can focus on this and times when you can focus on this. And I think that usually those opportunities present themselves. I think sometimes things are just really intense. I mean, working with hurricanes, you have to realize the intention behind what you're doing my family is at home we have power we're comfortable i can go home at the end of the weekend and i can be comfortable in my home but these people that we're helping it's going to take them months but if we do our work it's going to take them probably a month or two less and so if we can focus all our energies into that moment then we can go focus our energies on something else and we can help them with their plates But we can also, you know, do that as well. The other thing is, is I know how to set appropriate boundaries. Where at night, this may shock a lot of people out there. So I hope that they don't turn this off and say that's ridiculous. Every night, unless I'm traveling or something like that, I turn my phone all the way off. I turn it all the way off. I really think that the nighttime is time to get sleep, and so I allow myself to get sleep by turning my phone off. I'm also a light sleeper and so any little buzz is going to wake me up. Any buzz will wake me up. And during meal times and during certain family times that we spend together, I don't answer the phone or I don't, you know, it, if it's an emergency, they'll try again. If somebody's trying over and over and over, I will answer. But I give that moment I spend those those plates, the plates of my family. When I'm at work, because this is what you know pays for my bills and everything, I make sure that if I'm in class, I don't answer the phone or maybe just text back and say, I'm not available at this point in time. But so I make sure that there are appropriate boundaries because I need to keep my job in order to keep my family in their home. I need to keep my family because I love them more than anything else. And so you have to create appropriate boundaries at the same time And some people say but i can't i there was one bishop i had uh, when i was stake president that i had to tell him when he was on vacation with his wife to not answer his phone and he said but they need me but they need and i said yes but your counselors need to be prepared to take over for you so you need to allow them the experience of making those decisions, of answering those questions without you so that they can feel, instead of you being the one, that they can then be the one so that you're not the one forever.
0: (laughs) Yes, so much great content there. And a couple of things I want to focus on. The first, setting boundaries, because I think that as a servant leader, we have to help people set boundaries. And it was interesting because we talk a lot about in society today about setting boundaries with people with individuals and setting healthy boundaries but i love the way that you talked about setting boundaries with a phone and being present in your environment that you're in at that given moment and that's a powerful thing and you know, it's interesting being an emergency response, a crisis management professional. There's a lot of people in my world of work that struggle with a rare form of PTSD because we're always on the go. And so we our phone rings all the time. And when our phone rings, it's usually really bad. And so there's a crisis. And because of that, our brain goes into immediate crisis response mode. And sometimes it's dealing with some really bad things. It can be death. It can be you know, massive search and rescues or body recovery or different things, uh, you know, massive hurricanes, earthquakes, floods, you know, really life-threatening and life-changing events, which can be hard for the brain to respond to. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of my peers and some of them struggle with some really severe PTSD after years and years of doing this. And because. You know, there really is no way to set good boundaries when you're always on call for 20 plus years. And that's an extreme example of why boundaries are so necessary. But that's just to go in to say that if you're in a high functioning law firm, or if you're in a business or a banking community that just has these high standards, you have to decide what's important to you. You have to decide which plate matters to you at that moment and you have to decide where you're going to be present because you can't be present at two places. So if you're answering your phone at the dinner table, as Matt said, you're not present at the dinner table. If you're giving a lecture in the the class or a presentation to your board of trustees and you're off somewhere else, you're not present at that presentation and you're not giving your full self. So I just love this conversation on boundaries and it's beyond just setting healthy boundaries with individuals. It's setting those boundaries that allow us to be present. And when we notice those people around us that are struggling boundaries, if we're a true servant leader, we have to help people recognize if their boundaries aren't healthy. If they're not present, we have to kind of pull them in and say, hey, please be present. When I had the episode with Dr. Josh Armstrong, we talked about a full value contract and how important that was to our classroom. And sometimes our teams need to establish full value contracts that allow us to commit to being present to the team And also allow those boundaries to be agreed upon by the team so that we know where our limitations are so that we don't push people too far. We don't push people to the point of PTSD or the equivalent burnout that we're seeing so much that led to the great resignation in so many people as as COVID helped them realign their priorities. Because as people resign from their jobs, that shows us that we had a massive leadership failure in so many of our vocations that people just didn't want to be present anymore. We can help overcome that by helping people set boundaries. And anything to add to that, Matt?
1: That was very instructive. I think the the COVID time period was a great re-evaluation process. I know it was a horrible experience for millions of people that lost loved ones and and friends and, and family. And that was a very difficult time. But I think the world learned a lot about how to better conduct business in a lot of ways. We learned how to do this. We learned that this was an effective way to communicate. Some people still argue that, but I feel like these meetings, in fact, this is, it changed our way of meeting as a presidency in the stake. We learned that we didn't have to meet in person every week. We could, and phone meetings were horrible. But if we had this pseudo face-to-face, I mean, before COVID, I was putting 13 to 15,000 church miles on my car every year because it's a big geographic area that our stake covers. And afterwards, it was a lot less. And because of some of the administrative changes in the church, we were able to conduct interviews in this way, different sorts of interviews. And it was really good. But you're right. It is a sense of what do I value versus what is important to me. That's why I stepped down as department chair. I had done it for 12 years and I'd probably done it for Maybe six years too long. (laughs) But I just, I made this decision because of a, a sense of what is, what do I really value about my work? And as you said in the beginning, I don't see myself as a leader. I didn't really choose to be the department chair. I, Nobody else was interested and I was like, okay, I'll do it, whatever. And, and then I did it, but I decided that teaching and my art making and time with my family and the ability to, to be flexible was more important than the money that I was getting. And so it was a tough decision, but it was an evaluation. It was me evaluating where I was and what I was really important to me. So you're right. And the, the whole idea. Of setting the boundaries that was a boundary that it was easy for me to well it it took some it took some time to think about and process and and to make the decision of but i knew that that was a, a boundary i was ready for and like you say with the ptsd yeah i when I was bishop, that was 2005 to 2010. It wasn't until after I was released that I got a cell phone. And people were, you know, and you think about 2005, 2010, that was a big deal at that point in time. I had a cell phone from where we traveled, but only a few people had the number, like my counselors and people at work and whatnot, just a couple of people at work. But when I wasn't traveling, it was off and in a basket. And I was a holdout. I guess I was a holdout. And uh yeah, people are surprised now that I've got Apple Watch and AirPods and all that kind of stuff. They're like, wow, you were the last person I know that got a cell phone. So now you've got all this other stuff. I'm fully integrated, that's for sure. But I still have my boundaries. I still turn everything off every night and just make sure that, that it is a tool, not a master.
0: Yeah, great way to put it, a tool, not a master. And I want to add some thoughts too. I think many people listening might not see themselves as leaders. And even though Matt doesn't see himself as a leader, I think he's the perfect model of exactly what I, this podcast is about. And it's showing people that we can be a servant leader in any place we're at, in any level of an organization. And we don't need to be a chair of a department. And Matt here, he teaches. He is responsible for inspiring minds and he serves in church responsibilities and he he's in integrated into his family. And so he is leading and influencing the people around him in so many different levels. And he is always serving. I, Whenever I've been around him, I know that much about him. And I don't have to be his best friend to recognize that he has a servant mindset and passion for helping others. And so whether or not he's a department chair and being responsible for administrative choices, I can tell that he's leading others. And that's what is so powerful about servant leadership. It doesn't it's not about where we're at in an organization. It's not about being the boss or the so-called "quote unquote leader." It's about being a servant leader of those around us and helping to inspire them to also serve the people around them because that's how we really build amazing inspiring organizations. And one of the things that I learned in my Masters of Organizational Leadership at Gonzaga University when I was studying servant leadership is they, they had us study leadership from different vantage points than I'd ever been exposed to. And they had us study leadership from the vantage point of architecture to think about how our buildings were built and how they either implemented communication or they inhibited it or how they built collaboration or they led to lack of collaboration and how they led to creativity or they were dismal and dark and all these different things about just our architecture. They put us in front of an artist and they had the artist talk about how so many leaders had inspired them or stifled their creativity while we also were playing with our hands and we were sculpting something and which was totally different than I'd ever been exposed to. And so as I've watched Matt and social media and I've seen his art, which is phenomenal. I also, he does a style of art that reminds me of my stepfather who was one of my most inspiring examples of servant leadership. And so who's passed on, I thought about Matt because I see in his art, even a form of servant leadership as it inspires others to think of things in a different way. And so I, As I look at Matt, I I open that up to him to talk about how do you, even in a business mindset, how do you open up the atmosphere and the environment to allow for those in your organization who might be working in a business that might have a background in art to have more creativity in that organization?
1: As department chair, often what I would do is I would assess the particular strengths of the faculty members and then make assignments and tasks that were geared towards those strengths so that they would do something that they believed in and that they felt they could accomplish well. I've had certain faculty members that had did not like to be around people, even though they were Teachers, you know, they had a certain amount of social anxiety. Well, I had them organize student reviews. I had them then compile the quantitative data that we received from those reviews, which he could do in the quiet of, of his own office with the door closed if he wanted to. Other people were more outgoing and wanted to, were good at the idea of recruiting. And so they, they would be put to work in different ways. But I think understanding people's particular strengths and gifts and then helping them use them in order to gain other gifts, that servant leadership in a way where you are helping somebody develop where they are developing and where they have those strengths. I think that's an important thing for a good leader to do. You don't try to fit a square peg in a round hole, but in doing so, if they then learn to trust you, And learn to to trust your leadership, that you're not just there to for the glory of being the leader, but you're there to get the job done and, and to make their lives easier, then they will branch out in other areas in order to help you. Because it's not a way to gaslight somebody into, you know, it's not a calculated, I, I want them to do more for me. So I'm going to manipulate them into thinking it's not that at all, because that always blows up. It's a sincere seeking to understand and then to go forth. That's how I see it.
0: And I think it goes back to exactly what you were saying at the very start of this podcast. Spend time talking to the people around right. you, getting to know them, understanding them, their desires. And I would like to leave our invitation for this episode of the podcast with that. Spend time talking to each member on your team, whatever that may be, and learn one of their strengths and gifts or both, One of their, what they determine to be one of their gifts, whether it's a strength or just a gift. And think about that. How does that fit into your organization? Where does that fit in? Are you utilizing it? where are you utilizing it or are you stifling that gift are you because if you are they might not be with your organization too long if they have a true gift and you're stifling it they're probably not a very inspired individual in your organization and that's a question i'd like to send you right now matt what are things that inhibit your creativity as an artist
1: (laughs) okay i as a not very business-minded individual that's part of the reason, one of the few reasons, one of the many reasons, excuse me, that I chose to be a professor is because I wanted to make what I wanted to make. And I didn't want my livelihood to be based upon the whims and desires of other people. I wanted the ability to create what I wanted to create. And so, you know, my job pays the bills or my position, as they told me that it's, it's a position, it pays my bills and so that I can make whatever art I want to make and if i sell it it's wonderful if I'm commissioned to do something. Like if somebody comes up to me, which they did on Saturday, they said, I, I think I, I'd like to commission you to do something for me. I have two feelings that happen. One is, wow, that's great. This might be a good opportunity for our family. The other is, oh no, <laughs> I'm going to have to deal with the opinions and the, the, you know, sometimes the micromanagement of other people like, well, no, I don't exactly want it like that. I was thinking of a different color, you know, that doesn't necessarily go with my couch. And, you know, those things that kind of inhibit your ability to make the creative decisions, which I understand is essential and it's important, but also for me, I guess it makes it more difficult. And also that perfectionist comes out and rears its ugly head. And I'm not a perfectionist, but when it comes to commissions, that starts rearing its head and i don't like it (laughs) i don't don't like the perfectionism because i yeah it uh, makes me more concerned i get anxious about what i'm doing instead of finding the joy in it as much so i guess that's micromanagement i guess that's how i try to treat people the way i want to some people need the micromanagement uh, because they may not be as creative in their own initiative to do things and so that's why some people need it but i try to do that trust when people feel trusted in what they do and their output they then feel the freedom to be more creative and to maybe take it beyond what the initial task is instead of this is what i want and i needed this all of this done instead of the the ultimate goal is this and i'm entrusting you with this ultimate goal and i want you to do it Like if the ultimate goal is I need a painting in my living room, yes, just let me do it. If the goal is I want a painting of my grandmother wearing these clothes, this size, and all of these things, then I start, I get nervous and uptight because, you know, I'm fairly adept at creating a likeness of somebody. But I'm also anxious the whole time that person or the loved one, is going to say, that's not how they look. And that's happened to me several times because I, you know, you give me a couple of pictures, I don't necessarily know. If I know them and I've seen them speak, I've seen their personality, it's easy for me to then cre- generate that likeness more than just, oh, here's a picture. Can you do this picture? That makes it more difficult. So those are some things that inhibit my creativity and also lessen the value of the task for me.
0: That's so interesting that the more you know the person, the easier it is to do that. And I think that's there's some value in that. I, I'll leave that for the listeners to think a little bit more about and how that relates to our organizations, because I think there's value in that thought to ponder on for a while. And I also think that there's so much there. And to think about, I got that same thought as I listened to that lesson block in my class about how... Our process is not the same as everyone's process. And a lot of times in our organizations, we think that the way we've done things is the only way to do things. And our process is the right process. And that's not always the case. Someone's process might be able to get an actually better product, it might come out way better than what we'd envisioned. And if we give them our vision clear enough, if we communicate well enough and we give them a vision and let them go, they might surprise us Mm -hmm. in a way that's profound. It's amazing. And it goes back to a thought Matt had earlier is that it allows them to become the people that will rise up and take the reins eventually. And we're not always going to be the people that run the organizations, even as Matt, he voluntarily stepped down, but he wasn't going to be the department chair forever, no matter what. We're not going to be in our positions forever, no matter what. So we have to build up the people around us. And the better servant leaders we are, the better we'll do that. The more that we communicate a vision and empower them to create the vision within their own process, the more they'll get the skills to do so. I just love the way that Matt taught that in his own language, in his own way. And I think there's power in thinking about, do we let the people in our organizations do that? Or do we sometimes get short-sighted and think that they're just not meeting the bar we've set for them because we don't see their process
1: the same as ours? I think some people respond well to that, to give, you know, if if they receive step-by-step instructions in order to accomplish. I think certain technical tasks, (laughs) I need that. But a lot of people, just like you said, need to know what the vision is. And then they need room and trust in order to make that vision occur. And that's how people grow, not by checking off all the boxes. That's how the task gets accomplished. But to help people grow and value the end product, whatever it might be, they can say, I did that. That was me. I made that happen. I was so, yeah. They, they, and then they believe in it. And then they have a story to tell, an impactful situation for them that they bring to the next situation that it goes with them.
0: I love it. And we can then metaphorically spend the time clearing out the trees out of the way in the organization of those people to rise to their greatest achievements. All right, Matt, I think we're done here for today. Any final thoughts to wrap us up?
1: Uh, it was enjoyable visiting with you. I, a lot of these things that have happened to me and, and the experiences I've I've had have come just because I was, I guess, in the right place at the right time and in in the right situation in my life. And so I had to rise to them. Uh, They were all challenges. But as someone I've spoken to recently says, challenges are more opportunities than they are challenges. They're they're opportunities. And so uh, that's what life gives us, opportunities. And sometimes, like me right now, I'm good with the, <laughs> the opportunities I have, and I'm fine. And There's a time and a season for, for all things. But I think each place where we are, we can have opportunities to rise up. Every time I have had a leadership opportunity and then was relieved of that opportunity not fired i don't mean fired whether it be bishop state president department chair i have assessed in my new responsibility what i could do what what i could do to make the person that has that new leadership responsibility their lives easier if i could do the job that i felt like the way that it needed to be done when i was in that leadership responsibility to lighten their load and help them that's been a great reflection afterwards Instead of looking at it and saying, ha ha, you got it now, say, well, what can I do? Not ask them necessarily, what can I do, but offer, these are some things I can do to help you if you would like, because those the leaders don't always have all the answers of what you can do to help them, but you may have some answers of what you think they need help with in a positive way, not like, oh, you're bad at this. Let me try, let me help you with this.
0: <laughs> well, I think that is a great servant leadership mindset, and I just love it. And what a wonderful episode of the All Might Be Edified discussions on servant leadership. And thanks all of you for joining us and have a wonderful day.